to Bibby, has the open shot. Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the NBC Sports California King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me on this special draft night edition, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. A.B., what's going on? Big night for the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, yeah, you guys are fired up, man. And you know, it's not just you guys. It's the national media. It's the local media. It's the media wherever they're at. You guys are you guys are partying Yeah, a, a good night for the Sacramento Kings. I mean, I, I didn't expect this night to go as well as it did. Um, I think everyone was hopeful that De'Aaron Fox would fall to number five. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's exactly what happened, you know, when it started to materialize that Jason Tatum would go to the Boston Celtics at number three. Um, I think it opened a door. But everything after that was unexpected and very intriguing. Um, you know, the Kings took the 10 pick. They traded for 15 and 20. Uh, Frank Mason the third lasted all the way until number 34. Uh, I, I don't know. What are your your overall thoughts, Aaron? Because to me, it it sure did seem like even when I left the practice facility at almost eleven o'clock tonight, Kings fans were still buzzing in the streets because of the the crazy night the Kings had. Yeah, I uh, tweeted out. There's a uh, thing tomorrow to introduce the Kings at the concert in the park, and and all these guys are. <laughs> tweeting back and forth with me and their mentions about how they're all getting ready to go down to the park. So yeah, there's a lot of excitement and I'm trying to wrap my head around this cause I'm going to be the uh, devil's advocate wet blanket on this uh, draft. I'm definitely not going to say it's a bad draft. Um, you know, there, there's a little bit of nuance here. I think with the way that this franchise has, you know, I guess been run or, you know, the, the, the players, you know, DeMarcus cousins, you know, not to mince any words, it's just kind of the tenor of the, the situation surrounding the team. You know, now you've got a complete contrast to that. And I think a lot of people also got burnt last year, you know, calling Vlade Divac's uh, draft. Oh, now, actually, I'm confused. Is it Divac's or Divac? Divac's. It's Divac's. Okay. I saw I saw uh, Scott and Carmichael Dave arguing over that. But um, I think, you know, people got burnt, you know, laughing at that draft. And, um, you know, this year they had one of those kind of like structurally sound drafts where you, if you almost put tape over the names and you said, okay, if you trade back, you know, from 10 and you get 15 and 20 in a deep draft and, um, you know, you, you do reasonably well with those picks, you're a young team, you're turning the page. Everybody got done laughing at your draft last year and getting burnt. The franchise has been through quite a bit of hell. And here are all of these good kids with good attitudes and blue chippers from the blue blood schools. And it all just kind of rang true. And I think that everybody jumped on it early and often. So I, I, whether it's TV, um, Twitter, 
there is a lot of support for the Kings draft. A lot of people think that they had the best draft uh, of all the teams in the NBA. So there's some nuance that I'd like to sift through there. But, I mean, rightfully so, Kings fans should be excited about this. Getting De'Aaron Fox was, you know, I guess looking at it now, it was almost kind of guaranteed if you, if you thought that the Celtics were going to take Tatum, which is kind of mind-blowing on, on a few different levels, especially with who they're chasing after in free agency. They're, um, you know, they really opened up the door for either Jackson or, or Fox there. But once you get Fox, that just takes like 50% of the weight off of their shoulders. And then we can get in the strategy of, of trading down. But uh, again, great night for the Kings. Yeah, I just thought uh, when you really look at the group of players that they brought in, you're right. It, it is like blue chip schools. They brought in sort of, the, I don't know, you could probably argue those are the best four college uh, you know, college basketball programs in the country. Um, when you look at Kansas, Kentucky, uh, Duke, and North Carolina, that's just, I mean, if you're going to go to the well, I guess that's one of the places to start. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it was interesting because the number 10 pick, um, you and I, I think we have a differing opinion on sort of what they did there and, you know, who they got and, and why they did what they did. But, you know, I had been hearing for a couple of days that it was very possible they would either move out of the 10 spot completely or that they would they would move down because it what it really came down to is you can like Zach Collins and you can like some of the other players that are around that area, but the biggest issue the Kings had was most of the players in that spot were not players at a position of need at all. So, you know, John Collins is a nice player. Uh, Zach Collins is a nice player. Uh, Donovan Mitchell or Luke Kennard, they're all nice players, but the Kings don't really need a power forward center slash slash shooting guard. They they needed a small forward. I mean, I guess they, they did go out and they did get a you know, a power forward center uh, with the 20th pick in Harry Giles from Duke. But Justin Jackson is is a player at a position of need. And at number 15, he was right about at equal value for who and what he is. And, you know, could they have gambled on a player with bigger upside? Absolutely. Uh, they could have gone after OG right there. But he may not play the entire season, or he may not play until January because an ACL tear. Um, so I think Josh Jackson, I mean uh, Justin Jackson, was a safe pick at 15, and I think Harry Giles was an absolute crazy pick at 20, uh, with crazy upside, crazy risk. But at 20, I don't think they did anything wrong. So I- I'm kind of intrigued with. I don't know. What do you feel about those picks? Yeah, so I, I think you can make that 20 pick once you've split the 10 into two. So you've, you've hedged your risk. And, you know, I thought that 20 was basically the upper boundary of where you would take a Giles. I mean, this is all about injury risk. And due to all of the injuries, he's really kind of failed to develop uh, as it relates to his potential coming out of high school. So he has about a year or two to go before he's going to get back up to speed. So, um, you know, you got to just tuck that one away and, and just see how that goes. You know, this is about whether or not Zach Collins is the player that I think he could be. And I, I'm not convinced that, that you know, he's definitely going to be that. Um, or 
if uh, Justin Jackson is going to be the player that I think he is. And I'm actually I feel a little bit more strongly about Justin Jackson's film. I have major concerns about whether he can cover a three or a four. Um, and those are going to be the two positions that he plays most of. The, the way I looked at his film, he's going to have to have some of the best training and kind of physical jumps that we've seen kind of in a while. You know, most players will get a little bit bigger, stronger when they come to the NBA, but he's going to have to do it at a level that's that exceeds that of his peers. If he can do that, now you're starting to talk about a player that can do some stuff because he can shoot the ball and he's going to have to find a way to keep guys off of him and because they're just going to come up and crowd him. They know he can't beat them. You see it on film. All of his trips to the lane are, you know, these kind of wild, wide forays where he's getting muscled off of his line. So that's not going to work. I mean, you're talking about a guy who can stand there and hit open threes. That's fine. But usually you reserve that for three and D guys. And he's definitely not going to be a defensive guy. So that's going to be where that that tweak in the draft gets decided between those two players there. Because you're right. The other guys are all duplicative. You know, I, I enjoy, you know, best player available as much as anybody. But in the Kings particular situation, they've got this massive log jam at shooting guard. Um, you know, small forward is a, a position of need. There are a lot of veterans in free agency. So reaching for a small forward is, is not something that I personally would have done. So that's the only thing tempering this draft for me, you know, from a King's perspective. The only other thing I wonder when they were sitting with the 10 and you had all those guys available on the board, I just wish I would know. You'll never know. What did they have out there in terms of offers? What teams were going to reach up and try to grab that 10 pick and get one of these guys? Because, you know, Malik Monk at 11 is that's that's a really good deal. You know that. Um, yeah. No, that, he's a that, he's a really good player for eleven. I agree. So, I, to me, I I was just sitting there thinking, man, the Kings have a lot of options here, and then they split it into fifteen and twenty, and I thought, that's the section of the draft I like least. You know, everything after like say thirteen, fourteen, I just thought there was a lot of the same kind of value there, and and once you got to, to maybe like twenty five and beyond, that's that's really where you started to see some of the better values for the pick. So. I, I, again, I'm the wet blanket, but I do think Kings fans should be extremely happy because now you're pretty much locked and loaded. You know, you, you definitely need players to to grow with and compete and some veterans and all of that. But out of this core, some of these guys are going to take that step forward. You got enough of them to where it's going to make a difference. I, I think that might be the biggest thing. It's that out of all of them, you're not going to strike gold with like nine players because the Kings now have nine players who are all first round picks that were drafted in the last two, well, this year, last year, and then Willie Cauley-Stein the year before. So two years of NBA experience or less, uh, they have nine players. And that's that's a ton of players. And, I mean, there's no other way to, like, to mince words here. I mean, the the thing that I'll point out, a couple, well, actually a couple of things. Okay, first of all, I like Zach Collins. And, and I thought Zach Collins has a very, very nice upside. Um, but... I also know that Zach Collins came off the bench last year. And so his numbers aren't exactly spectacular to start with. And then, and his efficiency and all that, that's great. But he did it in a reserve role, which means that not only did he not face the elite of the elite college players as starters, but his stats were very, very small sample size against second tier college players. And so I think that he has he has a lot a lot of potential to grow and to do all 
all the things that you're going to want him to do. Um, but, you know, the NBA draft has become such a battle over potential. It's all about potential, and it has nothing to do with productivity. So, again, Frank Mason third goes number 34 overall. He's a Naismith and Wooden Award winner. Um, you know, he averaged 20.9 points, like 5.6 rebounds or 5 point, I mean, 5.9 assists and, you know, 4.6 rebounds, whatever it was. His stats are nice. He shot well over 40%, uh, from three. He's a quality, quality player at the NCAA level. And there are a lot of other guards that went before him that have no, no pro productivity that, that all they are is potential and so I think the Kings cashed in a little bit on on guys who have produced at the NCAA level, uh, like Justin Jackson, and you know, like Frank. Uh, and then they took a couple of gambles. And I mean, I I don't think De'Aaron Fox has a huge gamble at number five. I think he has the potential to be a very very good NBA guard, potentially an All Star guard. And then you have Harry Giles, and the Harry Giles situation, you know, we're going to get into. But I'll say the one reason, again, looking at Zach Collins versus Justin Jackson, uh, because, again, the Harry Giles thing is going to become, like, just so much potential and so much injury risk that we, we can't even really look at him so very straight at this point. And we'll get into him a little bit more in a second. But Justin Jackson, for my money, um, I, I see what he is. And I think you're right that he's not going to be a shutdown defender. Um, I do think he can guard threes, um, but I don't think he's going to be just this overwhelming defender. But he does a lot of things that I like. And if he's going to be a role player, not one of my top three options, but he's going to be a guy who gives me solid, solid minutes at the three, I know he can catch and shoot. I know from behind the arc. I know that he's good off a screen. I know that he spent three years at North Carolina learning how to win, learning how to be more physical, learning how to shoot better, uh, learning how to play the game of basketball under one of the great coaches in NCAA. Uh, and so I, I'm, I, I don't mind the pick because I don't look at him as a top eight pick. I look at him as a guy who is really supposed to be project as a role player in the NBA and that's what you should be looking at with number 15 there are very few uh, Kawhi Leonard's that pop up at 15 aren't and, and are spectacular and so I'm okay with that pick again he's not my like top five favorite people in this draft um, there are other people I liked better uh, but you know again the small forward position was really lean after you got past the first six picks all the way through there's some value later but it's really lean and i think the kings got one of the safer bets in the range from really from 10 to to 30 they got one of the safer bets i think all of this is kind of just levels and perspectives so you know you look at what the kings did and you you can say without a fact that they had a good draft i mean they come out of this with four uh, we'll go three quality players and one injury risk. You know, I do think that Frank Mason is going to be a value to this team. Yeah. And, and you, you can you can conceivably, I mean, it's not probably the wisest thing to do. You probably want Frank to be third point guard and, and have him earn his way up and, and find some 
kind of, you know, low end veteran that can come in and, and just kind of steady that group a little bit. So you don't put so much on De'Aaron Fox, but uh, I mean, kind of play devil's advocate on that point. You have so many ball handling shooting guards that um, I, you, you might not have to. You could if, if Frank can prove it in preseason and, um, you know, th- th- that's kind of hard to bet on because you got to go all the way down the road with him to that point and, and in free agency pass on all these guys. Um, you know, you could possibly throw those two rookies out there. So you can look at this draft and you could say, hey, you know what? They got three solid players. You want to go two solid players, that's fine, you know, if we don't want to overvalue Frank Mason. But there's also a couple other things, you know, with the way that, I mean, we evaluate drafts in in the fantasy world, and I know this isn't comparable to reality, but we do a lot of drafts, right? Mm -hmm. And we do hundreds of drafts. And we don't look at these drafts three years down the road and think, or a year, or at the end of the year and really say, you know, this guy that came out of nowhere and he was a top 20 guy and everybody had him rated at top 100, you know, whoever thought he was a top 20 guy, they got it right. You look at kind of the consensus of where people think guys should go. And then based on if you have a good enough consensus, you kind of evaluate how people drafted based on some sort of a consensus. And you have to kind of look at the skill involved with the various picks. And so you could be hypercritical of the draft which is kind of what I'm doing here and say, okay, it was a shoe in to take De'Aaron Fox. And you know, the, the, the nexus of this draft is really the choice to either break up that pick or not. And then what we'll do is we'll look at Zach Collins in Portland, where I project he'll probably get about 25 minutes per game. And then you look at Justin Jackson and he might get something more like 18 minutes per game or 16 minutes per game in his first year. And that's where the comparison might end up tipping toward. Maybe you should have kept the 10 or you look at some of these other guys, like if Malik Monk goes off, you know, and so on down the list. So that's one other way to look at it. So I, I think it's just levels with the way that you look at this stuff. And um, I think Kings fans can be happy with it. But um, I, I, to me, I thought some of it was a little bit over the top. As far as the Kings having this, this spectacular, you know, uh, draft, I mean, it are we rating them against the Tim, against the Grizzlies? I thought the Grizzlies had a pretty good draft. They had no draft picks, and then they, um, you know, managed to eke out a couple uh, late first, and I think they got a second rounder in there. I thought the I thought the Memphis Grizzlies did good for the position they were in. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Okay. So uh, let's touch base on Harry Giles for a sec. Um, okay. So for people who don't know who Harry Giles is and who had kind of like, you know, lived in a bubble, um, as far as basketball scouting. He was one of the the top prospects in the last I don't know five ten years. I mean he's he's off the charts or he was. Um, he played for Team USA like U fifteen teams U eighteen teams, um, and he blew out both of his knees at, at two different times. He his first was an ACL tear as a I don't know like a fourteen fifteen year old. And then he had another knee surgery uh, a couple of years later. And then he had a scope last year right before the season, which really hampered him at Duke. And he didn't look like him, you know, like anywhere near himself. But he slowly started to regain some of his, you know, who he was as a player before. So he's going to come off as a massive risk. And and people are going to say, oh my gosh, he's he's this huge huge risk. Why would the Kings do that? 
So I, I asked Vlade Divac during the press conference this evening um, why, if, if the Kings had looked at his medical records, if they had done all the research, and he said, yeah, and we had him in here, and he looks just fine. And, you know, so anyway, I was able to get a little bit more than that from other people within the organization. And they told me that uh, the people, that there are four players, uh, three players in the past that have had the same exact type of, uh, of ACL injury that he's had, that, uh, that Giles has had. And those players are Danny Manning, Kenyon Martin, and Amari Stoudemire. Now, a couple of things. Number one, I think if you're a basketball fan, you know that all three of those guys had knee issues, right? I don't think there's any question that you missed the memo that Danny Manning, I mean, he blew out his knee during a game in Sacramento on the Kings home court when he was either playing for the Clippers or someone else late in his career. And it was gruesome. I remember watching it and it was absolutely tragic because he had had knee injuries before. But my, the other thing is that Amari Stoudemire played 14 years in the NBA and Kenya Martin and Danny Manning both played 15 years in the NBA. And so the Kings look at Giles and say they believe he will be in the NBA long term. That they don't think this is something that that is going to take away from his ability to play. Now, will he have knee injuries later on in life? Most likely he'll have a bunch of knee injuries. But with modern technology and, and all the things that you can do to help a player, they also think that, you know, that he may be able to play out his career without further issue. And if that's the case, you may have landed a top three or four talent in this draft at the 20th pick. He may have even been the top talent in this draft if he would have never had a knee injury and and the Kings would have never, ever had a chance to get him. So he's a risk at 20 for sure. But he also has the potential to be incredible. And he's going to need time for sure. But he's a really, really talented... I mean, the Kings were blown away. Vlade Divac said, we, we had him in here. We loved him. We fell in love with him. And so I've got to believe that they've done their homework. And even if they haven't and he completely falls apart, he was a 20th pick. I mean, do you know the how many busts there are in the top 10, let alone the top 20? I mean, you took a risk, but... I don't know. Zach Collins has to be better than than both Justin Jackson and Giles. And Giles has the potential to be better than both of them easily if he stays healthy. Yeah, but Giles, he's going to have to. It's basically like they just chopped his, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old seasons just up. And, and when you're injured like that, you don't get to really work on your game. And that's the, 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 the part about his, I guess, next two years is he's just going to redshirt and he's going to have to have that development occur because all of the hype and all of the, the ratings came from when he was younger. And, and I forget he, he was battling with, I wanted to say, um, oh, the guy out of uh, Georgia Tech, uh, Collins, like those two were like the consensus one and two big men. And, and I guess they played each other all the time. I might be getting that wrong. I heard, heard that out of one ear earlier. Um He's going to have to go through all that, and then um, we'll have an answer to the question. Because you're right, he'll probably last through at least two to three seasons without any sort of knee trouble, unless this is just a total loss. That's, 
you know, you're, you're, you're not hearing that. The Kings obviously picked him for a reason. So, you know, they're looking at medical records, MRIs. They don't see anything too crazy. He did have a clean-out surgery as well. I, I'm going to guess that's for meniscus. Um, that's... Yeah, he had a clean-out, but it was a scope. It was minor. Um, it just it just took, you know, it was right at the beginning of the season, well, I think. And it's never the it's never really the ACL. It's or, or MCL. It's always the meniscus. That's the thing you guys always got to watch out for because once the meniscus goes, then you just lose everything. You you lose the ability to generate more meniscus. And the bone on bone just creates all sorts of problems. And then it just kind of goes through the entire body because once you injure one part, everything else starts to go. So that's the beginning of the end there. He's going to have to just have a great one to two years of development. And if he can keep his athleticism, keep his weight low, then then, yeah, he can start to to get back to that kind of that top five hype, if you will. Um, but I was going to ask you a question because it, it does seem that that the Kings were influenced by the workouts. Or, or maybe I'm reading too much into that. How much the extent do you think that the Kings workouts with these players, you know, had in them taking them? Well, I think it's interesting that all four players that they drafted came in for workouts. And I, you know, so I do think that's interesting, but I, I also know that the top four players, one of them outside of, you know, outside of Fox came in. So you're going to lose those guys. Um, then there was issues with Frank and Tilakina, like not coming over until the last second. Um, Dennis Smith, I don't even know if he ever signed with an agent. Uh, you're gonna have a couple of guys who their agents, you know, don't like the Kings uh, and, and wouldn't have them work out. So I'm not really gonna bash the Kings for like the two or three agents that decided not to have their players work out for the Kings. I think they got a really good sample of who was out there and what was out there. I do think it does show something that they did not draft anyone that they didn't see. Um, but I also know that there was a very good chance they would have traded their second round pick if uh, Frank Mason hadn't dropped to them. So, I mean, that it's an interesting question. Um, I actually, and just to finish up with, uh, with Giles, he's 6'10 and a half, 232 with a seven foot three and a quarter wingspan. And his vertical leap was 32 and a half at the combine. But everyone says that it went up after the combine and they, you know, as he's healing and getting more into basketball shape. So that's just something to think of with him. He's, he's a tremendous sized athlete. Um, and he, I even talked to him when he was out here and, and he said that, um, you know, he thought he could be uh, the next, you know, Scalabi Sierra that comes in his rookie season out of nowhere and fell in the draft because of one reason or another. Of course, their injury, his injury versus Scal, just like not having a good run at, uh, with Cal. Um, but uh, basically he said, yeah, I could see like me coming in the league and making that kind of impact. And so I, I think the Kings will take it slow with him um, and, and they'll use Reno and they'll build him up and, they'll they'll work with him but at the same time i mean this kid is huge i mean he he has so much potential it's nuts so so aaron it is a good question what you asked about um you know who they who they interviewed who they didn't um but again a lot of the the early you know teen guys they're guys that you wouldn't draft because they weren't in a position of need and i think the kings really did look at the 15 and and 20 pick early on i think they had an idea that they were going to do this deal early because if you look at, you know, the John Collins coming in and you look at all these guys that did come in that are right around that 15 to 20 range, 
it does look like they kind of had an idea that this was a possibility. And then they tested the waters with guys who might go around 10. And this is what they came up with. I, I think they're also looking for a certain style of a big, you know, an athletic big that, you know, they got a lot of the thin towers, obviously. And you don't know what you got in Papayanis just yet. So, you know, some of the talk about, you know, Andre Drummond. And, and that was an interesting thing because there was several Kings people that were, were pretty um, dead set that that was actually a discussion that that was uh, going on, but that it was kind of unlikely. And um, I, I thought that was interesting because to me that would have been a little bit crazy to, to do that. But um, they found, you know, not a clone of Andre Drummond, but uh, somebody that – uh, would fit that profile. Um, where were we at before I went into the whole Andre Drummond bit? Yeah, and then the point guard situation, that's that's something that um, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how they go with this because you got Dave Yeager. He's not a big play-the-rookies guy. Uh, you do have ball-handling shooting guards kind of everywhere. And um, are they going to just cut De'Aaron Fox loose? Because I, I would be a fan of that. I, I would just like to see you know, them cut him 28, 30, you know, maybe even 32 minutes a game. You're not going to win anything this year. Um, you know, I, I would hate to say that they should be tanking because I don't believe in tanking, but uh, giving him just a ton of experience and, and really figuring out what can he do. Because there, there are some questions mark, question marks with him as far as his overall skill set. Is he going to be able to develop an outside game? Is he going to be able to kind of really take advantage of the pick and roll game at the NBA level the way that, you know, everybody thinks he can. And, and I want to see, you know, can he do that at, at a high level and, and how long is it going to take him to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think there is like two schools of thought here, what you do with De'Aaron Fox. I mean, I think they're going to attempt to let him win the job and, and give him 28 minutes a night, like what you said, 28, uh, 30 minutes a night. And, and maybe it means that Frank Mason plays, uh, plays 18 to 20 minutes a night. I, I'm not sure. Um, I also think Bogdanovich, if he does come over, which I do believe he's coming over, I think he'll play, you know, a few minutes at the point. I think Garrett Temple can steal you a few minutes at the point. So you may be able to get away with this, but I don't know that it really behooves the Kings at this point. If I look at the two guys that they drafted to bring in another, you know, 25 to 30 minute a game guy, like the, I think the Ty Lawson, Darren Collison conversation may have ended on draft night. And I know Kings fans are going to like freak out and like want to reach through the, the podcast world and slap me in the face. But I could see the Kings doing a, a low budget veteran that might fit and really help develop the young guys that Jaeger can rely on in when he has to, but won't rely on him all the time. And, um, and so I could see the Kings looking at that potential again, like, uh, Teodosis, uh, Teodosic is off the table. I think, you know, a run at, at George Hill or, uh, or Drew Holiday or Jeff Teague, I think those are off the table because I don't think you need them. If you have De'Aaron Fox, what you do need is someone who can help out and, and you know, even if it's, I know here it goes, Aaron, even if it's Jordan Farmar, like what they did last year, <laughs> and they brought him in just to fill in and to to be a, a leader behind the scenes, I think that's a guy that you could maybe steal 10 minutes if you needed it. 
And if someone got injured and you had to reboot, then you would think about at that point, can I go out and chase somebody who's bigger, who's who's going to eat up more minutes? But the Kings don't need another young guy, and they don't need I a got, veteran I who's going to eat I got your point, guard. I got who's your that? point, guard. Bano Udre. No, I'm, I'm just playing. Uh, Shelvin Mack. I think Shelvin is in need of a new situation. Um, you know, they got a lot of point guards and, you know, just stuff going on in Utah in general. And I don't know that Mac is a part of their future. He's young. He's 27 years old. He's not going to be expensive. He is going to be the prototype, um, you know, uh, veteran contract. They could go two to three years on him and feel pretty good about it at the end of the day. He'll push them, but not too much. And, you know, being around the league and, and being a guy that most teams have appreciated being around, you know, I think kind of a classic overachiever. That's that's the, the hat that I would throw in the ring. Shelvin Mack. I can see something like that, but I also know that he probably needs more. He's going to want more minutes. He's going to want 22 to 24 minutes a game. He's going to look for a situation that really fits what he wants to do. I mean, even, I mean, you bring up Mack, uh, even Langston Galloway probably would have been in a situation to, you know, say, hey, I can play those minutes. But uh, we haven't discussed this yet, but Langston Galloway decided to opt out of his contract, which was really, to me, one of the more bizarre things that I've seen. And I asked around, and they said, look, he's a good guy, and he wants to play. And he looked at this situation and says, I'm not going to get to play. And if he's looking at this situation saying, I'm not going to get to play, that tells me that Fox and Mason, you know, those guys, they are going to be the guys along with Garrett Temple, along with, you know, uh, Bogdanovich, you know, they're going to run this group out there and give them a shot. That's what it kind of seems like to me. And the other problem is they can't really sign Jordan Farmar to a one-year deal, a million dollars or something, because they have no roster spots. We've talked about this ad nauseum, um, but... Langston Galloway actually did a huge favor to the Kings by opting out because now they have four roster spots. And just so we we go over this really quick, Aaron, the salary cap was at 102 million. It was projected at that. It went down to 99 million, which still puts the Kings in like primo spot. Um, before the draft picks, the Kings had roughly 64 million dollars in cap space. It was 67. The three million off the top makes it 64. Um, the, the draft picks, the first round draft picks, and then, you know, maybe 800,000 for Mason, 600 to 800,000, um, works out to be, uh, you know, close to $9.5 million. And then on top of that, you're looking at between five and 9 million for Bogdanovich if he comes over. So I have the Kings after Bogdanovich, after the rookie scale, um, at roughly between 45 and $49 million in cap space. Now, they don't have to use all of that, but they have to use within 10%. So, um, you know, they have to it, at least use roughly $40 million of that cap space. Um, and that's a lot of money. And they're now up to four roster spots because of Langston Galloway. Uh, so, but they only have... I mean, after tomorrow, which is, well, Friday. Friday is when they have to make the decision on Aaron Aflalo. And that decision is pretty clear from everything I know, that Aaron Aflalo will be bought out for $1.5 bucks. Kind of surprised that he wasn't traded on draft night, but that tells me that all the talk about trading, pay, uh, selling players by the Portland Trailblazers and stuff 
was a farce because the Kings made too much sense and they and the Kings uh and Portland Trailblazers pulled off a massive deal for the the 10, the 15, the 20. And and so, you know what I'm saying, like if there was going to be a deal there, they would have already done it cuz they, you know, again, uh a flalo turns into a pumpkin after Friday and his contract, you have to buy him out by Friday. I mean, I'm looking at that and I'm I'm wondering how um the the whole Mo Harkless thing went down. That was one question that I had. Um, but, you know, I, I would like to see the Kings really address this shooting guard issue smartly because, you know, Garrett Temple's by far the best of that crew. And you've still got two really important players behind him in um, Buddy Hield and Bogdan Boyanovich. And so if you go without a backup point guard to De'Aaron Fox, that might not be the worst thing because – then you can slide any of those guys really, even healed, if you if you wanted to, you know, in short term minutes, make him the the point guard in a lineup. That to me addresses one of the minute issues. Um, you know, you're gonna have a real hard time if you get a traditional three in there, a good veteran three that eats up 25, 30 minutes per game. Now these guys, they're just not getting a whole lot of minutes. That might work if Bogdan is is not kind of as advertised coming across um, from the overseas league. I, I, I think he's going to be better than that. So um, somebody's going to have to sit. Nobody's going to be happy. Typically that means that Garrett Temple ends up sitting, but that's never good for the Kings. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, and unfortunately for Malachi, it, it doesn't mean good things for Malachi. Exactly. And, and, and he's going to have to play three. Poppy Giannis is going to have to take a backseat. We've been hearing that, I've heard Poppy Giannis is in incredible shape that he's like 260 pounds of like sheer muscle. Everyone's like, oh my gosh. Um, but they still believe that he's a year or two away from like playing regular rotational minutes outside of the final 25 games of the season where you're completely falling apart. Um, I think Giles will be taken along slowly, but that doesn't mean he won't be there and won't be playing 8 to 10 minutes a night. I'm just, I don't know. Um, I, they still have a decision to make on what they're going to do with Costa. Uh, they still need a stretch four and they still need a veteran small forward and they still might need a backup point guard. And so they're going to have to address all of those positions and throw a lot of money at one of those positions at least. Well, I mean, let's, uh, it should be small forward, right? I mean, that's the one position of, of absolute weakness with the team. Oh, I think and so, that, too. I mean, yeah. Malachi, unfortunately, you're right. Malachi's going to have to play some three or, you know, whoever's called the three in the lineup. It'll probably be Garrett Temple, you know, who knows who's going to chase around the three. But that's um, that's not good. You know, he, he's already, you know, going to have basically essentially his rookie year right now. and And having to play against... You know, threes like Kevin Durant, that's not going to work. And that's obviously an extreme example. But, you know, the taller, rangier, the Danilo Gallinari's and and such, that's just not going to work on a night to night basis for Malachi. So when they go out and they get one of these small forwards, now you got the minute crunch again. And it's just never good for continuity. Playing guys 25 minutes per game is just never good. So how Dave Yeager manages this all is going to be an interesting storyline because, you know, he gets that first year where. You know, it's it's really not a measurement year. This the second year, I feel like people are going to kind of say, "All right, they're a young team; they should lose a lot of games." But um, how the minutes get managed, how you know people get developed, and 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 does this, you know, start to really get traction and and move on to um, you know something? Probably, I saw a writer, Oliver Maroney, you know, say say he thinks the Kings should make the playoffs this year. I don't think that. No, but that's um, crazy talk. 
yeah, that's crazy talk. But I think, though, there is more talent and better chemistry. And, you know, I mean, gosh, we haven't talked about Scal at all. You know, Scal, if if he really does take that next step, I mean, you do got some talent on this team that they come up and, you know, sneak on some teams like Miami, the Miami Heat did last year. Um, I don't think they will, they will do that the way that the Miami Heat did. But if they won 32, 33 games, it wouldn't shock me. No, it wouldn't shock me either, but that's going to take a lot. I mean, it really is. I mean, Dave Yeager is going to have to do a great job. The one thing, that, the other thing that stuck out tonight was that uh, it was that De'Aaron Fox knows everybody, um, which is really there's like he's six degrees of separation. He's you know I don't I don't know how he knows everybody, um, but he played AAU ball with uh, Justin Jackson. Um, Justin Jackson was in his final year of AAU and Aaron Fox was a freshman, um, but they played together and then they stayed in contact and he considers him like a big brother figure. Um, he played against Malachi in high school. Uh, he's known, um, he's known Harry Giles for a long time and is one of his close friends. Uh, he is the first text message that got through his phone after he turned it back on was from Scala BCA. And so uh, Scal is a guy who who is friends with him, as is Willie Cauley-Stein. So I think the one good thing is this group of players who, again, the Kings added four top-notch like citizens. These guys are all considered culture guys. They're, they're supposed to be all very, very strong character people. They added that, um, but they also added a lot of people who are are familiar with each other, which is really interesting. And I think the nice thing about that is that this team really should get along very well off the court right away. They should, they should bond quickly because they're all very similar age. They're all very similar experience. Um, they all know each other from some way or another. Uh, and so that's good, but they're going to have to find on-court chemistry very quickly. And also they're going to have to find defined roles so quickly and that's going to be difficult for this team. So I, just think, I think that uh, Fox, with the way that you you talk about his makeup, and you know he's obviously a well-spoken kid, and he's got a lot going for him. And I think he can run a team. That's why I want to see the Kings not get all cute and fancy, or not fancy, just cute with the minutes, and say, "Oh, you got to earn the minutes, and we're going to play 22 minutes per game, and we're going to up it to 24 and 26 and 28." You know, let this kid get the full money's worth with this year so you don't have to waste year two and three. You know, like really get him in there and let him cut his teeth so um, the window can start to open faster for this squad so you guys don't have all this youth that makes it to their next contract that you guys can't afford. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that people should also be cognizant of, that not all of these kids are going to work out. And the Kings are going to have... You know, four years from now, three years from now, they're going to have to start making some tough decisions. But just know that not all of these guys are, are going to pan out. But for right now, the one thing that really at the end of the night as I was writing my, my post piece of the draft was that for the first time that I can remember in so long, the Kings are stocked with assets. They have they have so many first-round picks. They have seven first-round picks from the last two seasons and eight from the last three seasons, and then the potential for Bogdan Bogdanovich. I mean, that is crazy. 
that I mean that is a lot of talent and so other teams are going to be interested in some of the players that they have and you're going to have to hope that you know that a lot of these players work out and become really good NBA players but there's also that you know the failure rate of of first round picks and you have to know that not everyone is going to turn out so they're going to have some tough decisions but in the meantime they're going to have to find some guys to help lead this group through the mess and, and develop and you know sort of build what the culture that they're trying to build and uh, to me that means they need to find a big time leader that they spend a lot of money on um and then they go from there. Someone who wants to take the money, who can still play, and who is known around the league as a leader, who's not going to just go out and try to chase uh, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, go, go chase a championship, which seems like what every 30-plus-year-old guy does at this point. So either spend it on a young guy and have him build with this team, or just find a couple of leaders uh, like they did last summer and, and just do it again. But find guys that you think can stick around a little bit longer. That's going to be the next cast is the free agency podcast and mm-hmm. uh, Otto Porter. We haven't talked about him in a while. Um, again, man, how do you, how do you wedge people into this, this small forward position? It definitely, it seems like it trends more towards older, shorter deals. Uh, you know, Paul Millsap's name was kicked up. I don't think anybody's trading anything for the right to pay Paul Millsap a max deal but um, but yeah. but he would be a, he would actually be a good value. He said the only problem is that he steals minutes from the guys you want to develop. So there's a lot of question marks how they're going to handle free agency with all this money. That's going to be fun to watch. And um, you know, I just want Kings fans to to sound tomorrow morning like me and James sound right now because we're dead. I've been doing this since 8 a.m. Yeah, we've been going full blast, um, talking, typing, you know, watching Twitter. It's it's been a, a long day. Uh, we do it every single year, but Kings fans should celebrate this because, you know, turning the page into Marcus Cousins era is not easy. You know, everybody can have their opinions about how everything went, but to have this young core and you really are starting from scratch. You don't have any of the the drama or the anything that, that everybody kind of had to go through for five plus years, 10 years to get to this point. So you can feel the the, the energy it's very positive. It's palpable. Uh, there'll be a, a, an event at concert in the park. Um, if you're listening to this today, Friday, uh, 6 p.m., they'll introduce the Kings players. And, you know, I think the new arena will be more developed. You're just going to get a more full and, and probably a more rewarding experience this year. Yeah, I think the fans are going to be buzzing. Whether the team is, is good or not, they're going to be fun. They're going to be young. They're going to be running. They're going to play hard. They're going to play the best defense they can. Uh, they're going to make a bunch of mistakes, and you're going to shake your head. But at the same time, I think fans are really going to like what what's happened here. And again, uh, just not to belabor this point, but if you look at all the fun types of players that they have, it is why I like Josh uh, Justin Jackson. That's why I like Justin Jackson, because he's not one of those flashy guys who's going to keep going for 20 every night. Um, but he's kind of a fit-in guy. And I'm okay with a fitting guy on this roster for right now um, because I, I think that you're going to have guys who are trying to be stars in uh, in De'Aaron Fox, in um, Buddy Heald, in Scalabissier. Even Willie Cauley-Stein will have moments where he's trying to be that guy. You're going to have Frank Mason come off the bench and 
at, at certain times, everyone's going to start asking why he isn't the starting point guard, just because he's going to bring it and he's a lot more mature and understands who and what he is. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a fun group to watch. Uh, now, lastly, we got to touch base on one thing that is uncomfortable and not so much fun. And uh, I don't want to be Debbie Downer on draft night that that was so incredibly emotional and fun. Um, but uh, it, you know, Chris Granger left the Kings or is leaving the Kings, um, the president of the business side of the Sacramento Kings, and that's a tremendous blow to the Sacramento Kings. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Chris because he's been nothing but a pro. Uh, to me for years at this point. Um, he was part of Team Bo that came here to rescue the Sacramento Kings fans from the Maloofs when they tried to move to Anaheim. Uh, the NBA sent him here, and he spent time away from his family trying to rebuild this franchise before he even joined this franchise. Um, the things he did to get the arena built were incredible. Uh, the ideas that came out of his mind, um, you know, a lot of this, the sustainability ideas, a lot of just the overall, you know, the things that you see in that arena are Chris Granger, um, and he's going to be missed horribly. Uh, it's a bummer that things like this happen, um, and I, I wish it were different. And it's unfortunate that the Kings are losing what is realistically a star in the business world and I, I know a fan asked me specifically like hey you know why doesn't he join the republic and, and it's because chris granger could go take over multiple full to, uh, fortune 500 companies tomorrow as like and a hugely paid executive and run them brilliantly because he's that good and so i just want to say thanks to chris granger for his years of service in sacramento the thing, and, and I'm, I've always talked about, if I was to write a book about the Sacramento Kings relocation story and the people that I met, you know, this was, I mean, some of these people are so talented, and, and Chris is, is right up there with the top of them. It was a who's who of people that, you know, all of the interests aligned for, for one, you know, two to three year period, and everything got done, and you know, Chris was right at the center of it all. And, and it takes a really uh, good person, you know, down to the core to be able to lead people. And he did that. And um, that that's going to be um, his legacy in Sacramento. So, you know, he kind of showed up, did his thing. And um, now he's, he's on to bigger and better things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope he does something that is really challenging that, you know, kind of lives up to his pay grade. But, uh, you know, you, you, for the Kings, they have several other great people on the business side. You know, they've always been strong in that area. So, uh, you know, they'll, they'll pick up and move on. And, uh, you know, I think the Kings will be fine. All right. The Kings will be fine from Aaron Bruski's lips to your ears. Wait, don't quote me on that. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. No, That's I'm just right. kidding. All right, so uh, big night in Sacramento. Sacramento Kings have an incredibly successful 2017 NBA draft night. Uh, they swung for the fences, and they sure do look like they hit quite a few nice, nice, solid 
base hits, maybe a couple of extra base hits up in there. And uh, and Kings fans should be extremely excited about what's happened here and over the last, I don't know, 24 hours. So, um, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I want to throw my, my chips in the middle on Derek White. Um, he, he The Spurs got him, I think, at 29. That would have been somebody I would have considered. That's it. That's all I got. Derek White, that after all 60 players drafted, that's that's your one. That's all you got. Yeah, um, no, he, he's going to be good. So, yeah, chips, middle, Derek White. There it is. All right, uh, let me see. Final thoughts. Um, outside of Jonathan Isaac, I think Harry Giles has the biggest boom or bust potential uh, in this NBA draft. I think the Kings are, are taking a gamble. Um, but I think you have to pull for a kid who is, uh, who's been through a lot as a young man. Uh, and you know, he's an incredible talent and I think people should leave a door open for him to, to be something special, uh, and, but not have too much pressure on him. Pull for him. Don't, don't demand from him. Uh, because again, this was one of the great young players coming through and uh, and he's had some some bad luck, and uh, so so pull pull for Harry Giles. Uh, secondly, your new fan favorite, I, I guarantee you, is going to be Frank Mason the uh, third. His moxie and high flying nature and just spirit are going to come into that arena and be something that's special. I think the the Kings have added character, and they've actually, uh, for the first time in a long time, they've added players to me that are marketable and fun, and that's something that I think has been lacking for a long time. And so uh, I always I talk about this how the San Francisco Giants. Um, I'm not a Giants fan. I don't like them at all. But um, when they used to do the panda hats and they used to do the Tim Tim Lincecum hair. And they do all of these like really cool things that make you want to be a fan of their team. Um, I think the Kings have some of those players. They they just found a few of them in this draft and in last year's draft. And I think that you're going to start seeing like a fun, fun to be part of, fun to watch. Uh, they may not win a ton of games early on, but uh, sort of a turning of the page and, and starting fresh and starting new. And I, to be honest with you, I'm really, really impressed with how they came through this draft night. I think they they did a outstanding job. Uh, you know, Vlade Divac said that, you know, someone asked, what was the room like when De'Aaron Fox fell to you? And he said, we were screaming, you know, a big scream. That's what it was. Everyone's super excited. That's the guy. That's the guy they wanted. Uh, Divac even went as far to say as if he had the number one pick, he still would have drafted De'Aaron Fox. Um, whether you believe that or not is up to you. Uh, but I, I think I'll leave you with that. They, the Kings, they had a good night. And uh, yeah, that's about it. So, uh, Aaron, we're done? Yeah? No, I'll probably end up driving to Reno and taking the over. Oh, taking the over. The road. <laughs> but but this one's going to gonna be like 27 or something, right? I don't think it'll 25. be that high. It'll be like 24, I think. Yeah. And then I'm going to get in the car and drive to Reno. <laughs> the sucker the, that I am. The road to 24. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Hamm. Uh, it's been a long day, folks. We're staying up late to get this one done. 
I'm catching a plane in, uh, I want to say, four hours. So I've got to be at the airport in three hours. Um, it's going to be a, a, a fun next week as we enter the free agent portion of the off season, and uh, things are going to get crazy. It's still going to get crazy. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the NBC Sports California Kings Insider Podcast. See you soon.